Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Come on, somebody. Man, y'all doing well this morning, church. Oh, no, no, no. Y'all doing well this morning, church. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to have a good time in this message this morning. Um, We do have student ministry going on. So students, if you're 6th to 12th grade, you'd like to participate in that right outside that door up the elevator is the student ministry area. You are more than welcome to go. If not, you can hang out with us this morning. It's going to be good. I believe you're going to learn something. Y'all think y'all going to learn something this morning? Yes, I think so. Uh, We're kicking off a new series called The Praise Effect this morning, and we're going to be talking about this over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about the power that comes from a lifestyle of praise and worship. I told you, my favorite part of service is not this part. Y'all, it's not the part where I get to preach. I love preaching. I think I do pretty good. I love preaching. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, fan club. All right, I think I do pretty good. But I'm going to tell you, I love worshiping, and I don't know that I do all this that well. I just get lost in it. I love worshiping. I love it. You can start, y'all, if y'all been here for a a worship night, when we've done a worship night, man, you'll start the night, and an hour and a half goes by, and you think it's been one song. It just goes by that quick. Some of the most powerful moments that I've ever had in my life have not been from hearing a message preached from the pastor, but from a moment of personal worship and praise by myself. In the shower, driving in the car, walking down the street in my neighborhood, riding my bike. Let me tell you, I will worship right now riding my bike, y'all. Y'all know I'm doing the 75 hard. This is two workouts a day, 45 minutes each. And a lot of times I only get my second workout done or or started until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Y'all know I need worship so I don't die. Ten miles is a long ride, amen. So... Worship is a powerful thing. Our praise is a powerful thing. And we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of unpacking this. I'm going to preach this week. My beautiful bride, my wonderful, smart, and intelligent, incredibly great preaching bride. I had to throw them all in there. I realize I usually only said my beautiful bride, but she has so much more to offer than just beauty. Amen? She's up with the students right now. But she's preaching next week. It's going to be a really good week, and then I'm going to follow up and close up the service the following week. How many of you guys are science nerds in the room? Anybody kind of a science geek? Oh, now I can't, I can't say. Well, I know you guys are, and now they might correct me on this. But it's okay. I'm a science geek, kind of. Um, anybody ever heard of the butterfly effect? Anybody ever heard that? Now, if I'm, I'm going to show you what, what I think the butterfly effect is. And if I'm wrong, just keep it to yourself. Amen? But the butterfly effect says this, that, that the way that a butterfly flaps its wing today can actually change the trajectory of a tornado three weeks from that moment. That every little thing has some kind of cause or effect that comes along with it, some kind of effect that comes with it. Little moments have big effects, amen? You remember growing up when your mom asked you to do something little and you said no and then it had a big effect? Y'all remember that? Like that big effect, someone's like, I want to forget it. Me too. A small moment can have a huge, huge effect. It's like a a rock 
You know, I grew up in this neighborhood. I grew up in this neighborhood over in the Hilton area. I literally grew up off of Randolph Road. And how God, 20 years later, would plant me in the very same neighborhood I grew up in, pastoring a church in the same neighborhood in the same city I grew up in, is only God. But I would go down to Huntington Park. Y'all been down to Huntington Park? If you swim to Huntington Beach, you were, you were, you were, uh, you were what's the word I'm looking for? You were protected against COVID, right? You, if you swam at Huntington Beach, you've been protected against COVID the whole time. Um, but there's a pond over there at Huntington Park, right? It's right near Fort Fun. Y'all remember what Fort Fun used to look like before they made it what it is now? Remember all the wooden pieces all there? Any splinters you got playing at Fort Fun? It was awesome. But there was this pond there, and I remember going fishing in that pond, and sometimes I would take these, these rocks or, or different things because you were bored, you weren't catching fish, and you would throw them into the, into the lake over the little pond. And the neatest thing happens, you know, you, if you've done it before, you know what I'm talking about. You'll throw a rock into a pond, and it hits. And then what happens after you do that? It ripples out, doesn't it? It ripples out. And those ripples will follow all the way across the pond. It's neat how one little thing can affect so much. So does our praise. So does our praise. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. It said you will always harvest what you what? What you what? You always harvest what you plant. Incredible. Whatever seeds you're sowing in your life, you're going to reap a harvest of that. So if you're sowing grouchy seeds, you're going to reach or reap a, grouch, a grouchy harvest. Amen. If you're sowing friendship, you're going to reap friendship. That's how this thing works. Just a small thing can produce a large effect. The effect that praise has on our life is tremendous. Let me give you the definition of praise, at least what I think the definition of praise is. Then this is what it says. It is the expression of gratitude for who God is. Y'all, listen, this is so good. It is the expression of gratitude for who God is. It says why God is. That's my fault. I sent it to him like that. It's the expression of gratitude, so don't look at the screen, for who God is, uh, is, which includes, here he goes, which includes what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That's what praise is. It's the expression of gratitude for who God is, which includes what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Small things have incredible benefits. They have incredible impact. They have incredible impact. Let me ask you a question. Does God need our praise? Come on, that's not a trick question. Does God need our praise? The answer to that question is, is God somehow lacking anything? No. So God doesn't need our praise. God enjoys our praise, much like a father or a parent enjoys it when their kid comes up to them for no reason at all and just looks at them in the eye and says, I love you, Daddy. No reason. They didn't just break anything, right? Just, I love you. What does that do to you? Some of you are like, I don't know. My kids break everything. But when they come up to you, it's happened. Sometimes it's, it's happened to me sometimes. Come home and my son will come up to me and he's like, Daddy, I love you. And I wish I could say that I don't think that, well, what did you break or what did you do? I do, but, but it, there are moments where it's just because it's just that's what he wants to do. He wants to express his love. I don't need that from my child. I enjoy that from my child. It shows that there's a level of intimacy that exists between father and, and son between parents and children. God doesn't need 
our, our praise, our worship. He doesn't need, he's not lacking anything. What we need to understand is that we will thrive when we are connected to intimacy, the intimacy of our Father. When we stay connected to our source, we thrive. And again, worship, a praise, keeps that connection tight. It keeps it there. Adam and Eve's downfall, when we talked about Adam and Eve a couple weeks ago, Adam and Eve's downfall was the result of opting for self-sufficiency. Anytime we begin to opt for self-sufficiency, anytime we think that we are the answer to every problem in every area of our life, how many of you know we're in trouble, amen? Anytime we think I am God's gift to everything, we're in trouble. That's called self-sufficiency. I'm going to believe in myself. And what you end up doing is you actually end up worshiping yourself. Look what my hands did. Look what I did. And before long, you, you run the risk of drying out. Before long, you run the risk of burning out. Before long, you run the risk of slipping into feelings and depression. I want to look back in the Old Testament real quick. Look at a moment in which we can gain some insight on the value of praise. The story of the Bible is the story of a God who is madly in love with his people and not mad at them. And we see that fulfillment unfold in the personhood of Jesus Christ. But you can always see God working and moving in the lives of every individual he encounters in the Bible. And you can see that really in the story of Israel, right? So Israel, they find themselves in bondage in Egypt. And then God raises up a, na- a man named who? A, na- a man named Moses, right? Raises up a man named Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. And they go through this wilderness. And they're on this wilderness journey. And they spend 40 years in the wilderness, wandering and going. And they come to the promised land. And God issues to them, as they get ready to go into a promised land, he issues to them a- 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 an incredible uh, um, statement, a reminder. Or, or, God, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like I can't find my words this morning. I didn't write it down. You're right. You're right. I didn't. He gives them some advice, some wisdom. Wisdom. There it is. We'll say it's wisdom. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to go. It's going to be a, this is going to be the longest chunk of scripture I'll read to you guys, so bear with me. And I want to highlight this, okay? But Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. Israel comes up to the promised land. And this is Moses speaking to Israel on behalf of God, and this is what he says. He says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. He said, remember how the Lord God led you through the wilderness for 40 years. How long, church? 40 years, making sure you're awake. He says, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you will obey his commands. I have a really good series that we did um, for about 10 weeks called Rethink that unpacks a lot of stuff about God, a lot about his personality, his character, his nature. I encourage you, definitely go back and check it out. I'm not going to unpack all this here, but you'll get, you'll, you'll get it. Verse 3, he says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna and food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather we live Uh, We live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar that we don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God? Isn't that exactly what Jesus said when he was being tempted by the devil? Right? In verse 4 it says, for all these, how many years, church? 
40 years. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet didn't blister or swell. How many of you guys would like to wear the same type of clothes for 40 years? Some of us still try. It's, our closets are evident. How many, this is crazy to me. I remember my mom telling me this in the 80s, that some of the styles and pants and things that we wore in the 80s, she's like, we wore that when I was a kid. I'm like, mom, it's not the same. But it was. And now my wife and I would be out at the park or we'll be at a store or something, and we're looking at people, and it's like watching Back to the Future. And we're like, they're wearing the same thing we wore. Don't do it, because 20 years from now, you're going to go back and go, why was I wearing that? He said, 40 years their clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't blister or swell. He said, think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Contrary to what you think, this is not bashing you over the head and breaking your legs. Amen. God is not the Godfather. He's God the Father. Amen. Remember that. Come on. Remember, this is Moses communicating his understanding of God. Okay, so verse 5. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines your child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Verse 6, it says, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. He said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Y'all say good land. A good land flowing, uh, flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush in the valleys and hills. In verse 8 it says, it is a land of wheat and barley. It must have had some good beer there. That didn't mess with your theology, did it? All right, keep going. Grapevines. Wine. Okay. Okay, fig trees. Also wine? What kind of wine are you drinking? All right. Pomegranates, juice, right? Olive oil and honey. Y'all get it? It's rich and, and, and lush. Verse 9, it says, It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant as the hills. Verse 10, when you have eaten your fill, this is important. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. Verse 11 says, but that is the time to be careful. When is it the time to be careful, church? That. When is it, when is it the time to be careful, church? When things are good. Does God want good things for you? Yes. Amen. But you want to remember that when things are going good, to not forget the Lord your God, but to praise the Lord for the good things he's given you. There is a reason why he said that to them. He said, verse 11, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not Forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, decrees I'm giving you today. Verse 12 says, for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and your herds become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Is God against you prospering in this world? Absolutely not. Is God against you having a house for you? Is God against you having, having money? Is God against you having those things? Not at all. 
He's not against you being prosperous. He is absolutely against prosperity having you, though. Amen? There's a difference. This is not the prosperity gospel. Don't, don't stress. Listen. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you to the great and terrifying, led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was hot and dry, like Virginia, at 9.45 in the morning, or 10.45. Have, he says, he gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. And he did this to humble you and to test you for your good. Verse 17, listen, he did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed with your ancestors with an oath. Be sure to praise the Lord your God. Now, that's important. The word praise there, it's the Hebrew word barak, right? It's the Hebrew word barak. And this is what it means. It means to bless and to kneel. So God says that when you experience prosperity, when you're experiencing blessing, as you go into this land and everything is beginning to multiply in your life, remember, you're going from having nothing to having everything. And when you get to that place and you see it come to pass, it's going to blow your mind. But I need you to remember this. Do not forget to Barak. Do not forget to praise the Lord your God. Barak means to to bless and to kneel in adoration to the Lord your God. This was not at all God manufacturing worship. This was not at all uh, God being a dictator and, and being a harsh ruler and saying, you must worship me. Worship is not a, a, a demand. It's an invitation. And it's an invitation to stay connected to our source. It was the invitation for Israel to stay connected to their source. You go into verse 14, it says, Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Y'all, the word proud, say proud. Do y'all know what the word pride is? You know what the word pride means? Anybody know what the word pride means? It, it means to be a worshiper of self. Self-worship. That's what pride is. Pride is self-worship. There's a difference between being confident and being prideful. Confidence says, I know who gave me the gifts. Pride says, I am the gift. Y'all get me? There's a difference between the two. He said, don't get to a place where you say, I am the gift. I am the one who did this. Don't say, I am the one. You see, Adam and Eve, they said, I'm the source. Eve said, I want to be the source. She reached for the fruit. She ate the tree from the tree of knowledge and evil. And then she turned around, and her husband was standing right there. And Adam said, well, shoot, I'm not going to let you have all the fun. I'm going to be the source, too. And he ate from that as well. Right? Yeah, he ate from that as well. And you go down, and you, you, you see how it unfolds. David said, I can be the source. And he hooked up with Bathsheba. And killed Uriah. 
You know, you, you have all these moments, these, these moments, I can be the source. And at the root, the, at the root of sin is the mindset that says I can be the source. How many of you know we are not the source? Amen. But we're connected to the source. We're connected to the source. When we come to a place of pride or self-worship, we short-circuit our faith. We relinquish, and this is so good. Hear me when I say this, guys. We relinquish the peace of God for the stress of self. I'll say it again. When we, when we come to a place and we say, I am the source, we relinquish the peace of God for the stress of self. God delights in providing for us. He loves showing his goodness to us. He loves creating opportunities for us to live lives uh, that are completely impossible without him. That's the way God works. There's so many times in your life, have you ever had God speak to you about doing something and at first when he tells you to do it, you look at him and go, that is impossible. Anybody? Come on, if you're not hearing from God, if the things you're hearing from God are not, that is impossible, then you're probably not hearing from God. Amen. That is impossible. I've watched God do that in our lives over and over and over and over again. I want you to quit this and go do that. That is impossible. Remember when he said, I want you to leave everything you've known in Virginia, move to San Antonio where you know nobody, and start a church from scratch in your living room. That's impossible. And it's always the point where God says, when you get to the place where you recognize it's impossible without me, I can show you that nothing is impossible with me. Amen? Go start a church in San Antonio. Okay. Do that for a couple years. Go here and, and, and go to this church in, in the middle of the sticks out in Toano. Anybody know where Toano is at? It's right next to the end of the world. You can look out the back of the window of the house I lived in, and you can see it right there. You fall right off. Some of y'all think you're a flat earther, aren't you? It's an illustration. Go to Toano in the church that had 30 people, no kids, no teenagers. Leave the job you have. Go there. That's impossible. Plus, I'm comfortable. And we go and we do and we see God doing a miraculous thing and begin to build something incredible. And then God says, now that you're there, now go back to New News and start a church from scratch again. Again. That's impossible. By the way, I don't want you to partner with any major organization because I know how to do that. I've done that. You go and jump through the hoops. You raise $50,000. They give you $50,000. You go and plant church. God said, I don't want you to do that. Don't do that. That's impossible. I had two churches offer to bankroll our, our budget for the first year. I said, Lord, look at that. He said, no. I said, you're really making this impossible, aren't you? I had no choice but to lean on God. We had no choice to lean on God, and we've been faithful to do it. Plant a church five months before coronavirus. It'll be great. That's impossible. How many of you guys are seeing the way that God works, that God calls us to impossible situations to show us that he can do all things? Amen? That with him, all things are possible. If I had done any of this, my wife and I had done any of those things and thought and came to any of those moments and said, look what I've done, we would have crashed and burned because we would have started worshiping self because that's what pride is. Pride is self-worship. 
I don't want to be at that spot. I want to be connected to my father. If my father's telling me to go do it, then I know it's my father who's walking me through it. And I know it's my father who's going to help me do it. Amen? I want to stay connected to my father. In verse 17, he says, so you would never say to yourselves, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Do you know we become what we worship? Did you know that? We will become what we worship. We will become the idols that we worship. We will. Whatever it is that we're worshiping, we will become what we worship. Instead of standing out like Israel was supposed to be. We'll fall like Israel. Israel chased the Joneses. Did y'all notice that? You ever go back and read the story of Israel? They, they chased the Joneses. They were trying to keep up with the Joneses. God said, I want you to do this. Israel traded the praise of God for the praise of nations. Did you know that? Who was their king? Who was, God, who was Israel's king? It's the Sunday school answer. God. I'll help you out. God was Israel's king, but Israel surveyed the land once they got in there. They then began to forget about God. They looked at everybody else and said, hey, Samuel, we, we want a king. Samuel says, well, you have a king. No, 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 no. All the other nations have kings. We want a king like all the other nations have kings. And they got Saul. They got Saul. Israel traded the praise of God for the praise of nations and the praise of self. Israel became just like what they worshipped. We want to be powerful like this country. But they also became the downfall like those countries. And before long, there was no difference between Israel and the nations that she worshipped. She looked just like them. And then they were conquered just like them. And they struggled just like them. And all of that could have been avoided by staying connected to God. Do you know even God modeled the attitude of Barak? Even God modeled this attitude of praise to take a knee and adoration. God modeled this. Did you know that? Remember when Jesus gathered his disciples together and he knelt down? Right? Remember that? Took a basin bowl to wash his disciples' feet. He, he knelt down. And adoration, that's, that's what it talks about. Peter, in seeing this, says, no, Lord, I'm not going to have you wash my feet. I have no part of it. And God said, you don't even understand. You can't be a part of what I'm doing if you don't let me do this. You see a God who kneels down in adoration. He leads by example. He leads by example. No doubt that would make a lot of us uncomfortable. Wouldn't it make a lot of you uncomfortable to have the Savior of the world kneel down and mess with your crusty toes? Anybody? Some of us, man, we we don't wear flip-flops during certain times of the year until our toes are done. Amen. (laughs) And here the God of the universe is kneeling down and wiping the dirt and cleaning the dirt and the mess off, off their feet. This is not a picture of God standing and demanding his followers to bow down out of fear. It's a picture of God that is consistent with who God is and has been from the very beginning. See, if you go back over to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, And so God created human beings in his what, church? His image. 
So God created human beings in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Female, as male and female, he created them, right? Verse 28 says, and then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them, listen, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and what church? Multiply. God blessed them. Y'all say the word blessed. Right. God blessed them. Do you know what word right there, that word blessed is? Do you know what that word is? Barak. Exactly. So he says, don't forget that when you go into the land and you experience all this goodness, don't forget to Barak the Lord your God. Don't forget to take a knee. I know that's controversial for a lot of people, but Jesus said it first. Okay. Don't forget to take a knee and bow down in adoration. There's nothing wrong with that. Bow down in adoration. Humble your, your, your heart above your head. Amen. He says, I'm not telling you to do something that I haven't done first. Because in the very beginning when I created humanity, I barocked down for humanity. I took a knee and bowed in adoration. I bowed in adoration. This is the moment that man was adorned with value and worth. And it is the value and worth it is this value and worth that has affected most, has affected most when we exchange our praise for the praise, our praise of God for the praise of self. When we exchange the praise of God for the praise of self, our value and worth gets impacted. Dr. James Richard says this. He said, listen, this is so good. He said, destructive behavior is the product, hear me, is the product of a heart seeking to create a quality of life that perfectly reflects its sense of self. I'll read it again. I'll read it again. Destructive behavior is the product of a heart seeking to create a quality of life that perfectly reflects its sense of self. So at what point, as we're chasing these things that leave us empty, as we get on the hamster wheel of religion and we're trying to chase these things, or we go on to chase uh, particular uh, addictions or whatever the case is, you know what you're doing? You know what I'm doing? I'm chasing things that will match up to how I see myself. That's what you do. You chase things. You're seeking things to create a quality of life that perfectly reflects your sense of self. When we exchange the praise of God for the praise of self. It's incredibly powerful. It has the ability, praise, to shift the atmosphere. When we are willing to humble ourselves and take a knee, when we're willing to lift our voice and worship God, it has the ability to completely shift atmospheres. So next week, Pastor Kim is going to preach more on that. Do you know, though, your praise, your praise creates ripples throughout time? Just like you drop a rock into a pond and the ripples make its way across the pond, your praise creates ripples throughout history. We see it now. I mean, we ride some of those very ripples every time we come together for worship and we sing in church. Or every time you lift your voice in the shower. Or every time you're driving around in the car and you're singing a particular song or scripture, you're riding the ripple of somebody else's praise. More particularly, specifically, I'll get it out, David. So David says, 
In Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5, let all that I am praise the Lord. I forgot I wrote a song about this. I did. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Do you know what the word praise is right there? The word of praises, let all that I am barak the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good thing, the good things he does for me. What are those good things? He forgives all my sins. How many of your sins, church? All of them. Not a single sin you ever will struggle with. It's outside of the grasp of grace. It is not outside the, the, the bounds of forgiveness. You have been forgiven. But wait, don't I have to confess that first in order to be forgiven? Doesn't that, isn't that how it works? Isn't that, i got to confess my sins in order to be forgiven? It's not that. It's not that at all. Are you saying I can live however I want to live and it doesn't matter anymore? Isn't it funny how I have to qualify a lot of this stuff when I say that? Because sometimes it's hard for us to understand. Do you have to confess your sins to be forgiven by God? The answer to that question is no. Your sins have been forgiven. 2,000 years ago, when Christ went to the cross, he forgave all your sins. But James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Absolutely. I need to, if I've, if I've upset you or frustrated you or I've been a jerk or something like that, I should come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry, I was a jerk. It says, so you may be healed. So what? Your relationship may be healed. But if your ability to confess your sins is equal to your being forgiven, then you better not forget any. Amen? Don't forget any of them. It's either all or nothing. Amen? you got to remember every last one of them, the sins of omission and the sins of commission and all the other things. you got to remember them all. Am I saying it's, it's wrong to, to say, God, I'm sorry, I missed the mark? Not at all. Not at all. If you want to, go for it. Confession is more about your heart than it is about God's heart. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We did a, a message, a standalone on shame and guilt. Go back and check it out on the podcast, the Journey Church podcast, or the website, Guilt, guilt can trigger you to go, ah, something's not right. Guilt says, I've done something wrong, but shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, I've done something bad. Shame says, I am bad. There's a difference. So he, verse 3, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And he redeems me from death and crowns me with loving uh, with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed, renewed like the eagles. See, scholars believe Psalms 103 was written in David's latter years for a couple reasons. Number one, his awareness of sins. How many of you guys know the older you get, the more aware you are? Amen? Like, ah, I was such a jerk back then. Isn't it funny how the younger you are, the less sinful you think you are? Isn't true? Amen? That's when you go back and you read the story where, where, where the woman gets brought into church and she's naked because she was caught in the act of adultery. Remember, and Jesus said, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. And y'all remember what happens? It says they drop their rocks from the oldest to the, to the youngest. 
So scholars believe that it was written in his latter years because he had an awareness of his sins and his focus, his focus on strength being renewed as his youth. But regardless, this praise was one written from David's heart to express, express his, his barak towards God. It's the praises that we're singing even now. The songs we're singing today, all these songs that we sang today, hear me, all these songs that we sang today, alive and breathing. Forgot who wrote that one. Who wrote that one? Anybody know? Y'all know. I wrote that one. See, I wrote that one when <laughs> I can't remember his name. All right. Matt Mark? Huh? Matt Marr. Okay, yeah. So, great. Matt Marr wrote that. Alive and Breathing. How many of you guys have heard that song before you ever came to church? How many of you have ever sing that song driving around in your car? Right? You sing that song. Do you know what you're doing? You're riding on the ripple of Matt Marr's praise. Do you see it? You're riding a ripple on Matt Marr's praise. And then that praise, your praise, becomes somebody else's praise. Glorious Day. Another one's the same one. Another in the fire. Hillsong wrote that one, right? You're being impacted by the ripple of somebody else's, somebody else's praise, and that ripple becomes your praise. Psalms 34, verses 1 through 3. Again, David says, I will bless or I will barack the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble should uh, hear, it, hear of it and be glad. Y'all probably got that New Living Translation. It's all right. It's up there. My bad. That's my fault. Verse 3, and I love this. I think this is why I chose this scripture, because of this word right here. Verse 3, I love the way they express it. It says, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. Magnify. I love that word. That's such an old word. Magnify. I'm going to magnify the Lord. That's such a good old word, churchy word. Amen? But I love it because it's so true. Magnify the Lord. How do you magnify the Lord in your life? Through praise. Through worship. Anybody ever play with a magnifying glass? Anybody ever play with a magnifying glass? Come on. Y'all have not been deprived. That Y'all play with magnifying glasses? Anybody ever burnt some ants? There's quite a few hands that went up. We're like, yep, fried them all. I lived in San Antonio. They have fire ants. I poured gasoline in the hill and lit it on fire. I don't care. Magnifying. That was dark, wasn't it? Magnifying glass. But if you've not been bit by fire ants, don't, don't talk to me. Amen. Ma- magnifying glass. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you burn ants up or you burn paper. You start fires. Let's just say that. You start fires. But you take the sun... You take the sun, and what does it do? It magnifies it on whatever it is that you're putting it on, right? It magnifies it. It focuses that light. It magnifies it, right? Burns it up. Well, if you take a magnifying glass and you try to read some print, what does the magnifying glass do? It enlarges it. It makes it bigger, right? It makes it bigger to see. When you magnify the Lord, amen, so it's like amen. When you magnify the Lord, he becomes bigger in your life than the problems that you're dealing with. And David said, I will bless, I will barack the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me 
And let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Looking at what I want to cut out. I got a lot more here. Let us magnify his name together. You know, anybody have a perfect week? Anybody? Nobody else had, no one had a perfect week, right? Yeah. No, I did not have a perfect week. As a matter of fact, <laughs> this message, I'm preaching to you right now. I will go back and watch this message. I often do. I'll go back and watch this message because sometimes I need to preach to myself. This is stuff I've preached to myself all week. Magnify the Lord. Sometimes I'll just start talking to myself. It's like worship threats or something. I just go off. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're good, God. You're good. My kids pick up on this. When they were younger, they used to do it in the most awkward places. You're walking down the aisle of Walmart. I don't know that it's really awkward. They're walking down the aisle of Walmart, and my kids would literally shout, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord! My son, my, my middle son, Micah, musician, self-taught. Don't try to teach him. He doesn't want to learn. He knows better. He's got a little self-worship happening. But he has heard worship from the very, from the earliest, early on, as he was a baby. He used to scream and cry in the car. And the only way that we can stop him, God honest truth, the only way that we could stop him from crying, it was there was one worship song. The very beginning of it had these magical chords it played. And he could be in a full-blown fit, bright red, veins popping out, and that song come on and he'd stop. And he was chill. And that song ends, and he was right back up. So we had that mess on repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And he's just grown up singing worship songs. He's grown up singing about a God, magnifying God. Before he even really understands and really understood what he was doing, he's growing up and he's worshiping God. Well, write songs about Jesus. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with him magnifying his God. Because when he gets older, like his dad, he'll have a head start. Amen. And when things are popping off and going crazy, he'll be quick to worship. That's what we need. I'm going to wrap right there. I know. But Miss Dreamers had y'all's kids, and I know some of y'all's kids. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. I promise. I'm just kidding. All right, one more scripture, I promise, and we'll wrap. All right. One more scripture. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. He said, I say it again, rejoice. Let everything or let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord's coming soon. Now, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I am very guilty about doing the exact opposite. Often I worry about everything and pray about little things, like nothing. Now you're wondering why you're sitting here on Sunday morning listening to me preach. It's okay. 
goes on and says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Verse 7, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. He says his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. And verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's not to say you deny when bad things are happening. It's not to say you deny feeling depressed or you deny feeling X, Y, and Z. How many know there's no power in denying? Amen? If you go read the Psalms, one thing I love about the Psalms is they're incredibly raw. David has very outspoken moments where he's like, I hate everybody in the world. You ever had those moments? I hate everybody in the world. And then he goes and he switches over and says, now that I got that out, Lord, you are so good. Can I just encourage you? Don't try to repress your feelings. Don't try to act like they don't exist. Acknowledge them, speak them out, and then go over here and do what Paul said. Find those things in your life that are worthy of praise. Right? I hate my job. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I hate my job. I love my job. I'm just saying you might, you might say you hate your job. <laughs> I hate my job, Lord, but then find that thing that's worthy of praise. Like, God, I thank you for my incredible wife and my incredible husband. I thank you for my kids who tell me for no reason at all when I get home, I love you, Daddy. Find those things that are worthy of praise that will point you back to your source.